the distributions for crypto trading are like power lots. One or two percent of the people taking all the money from everybody else. And so if you're not one of those insiders, if you're not one of those VCs that gets the coin at half a penny before it goes on any exchange at 30 cents, if you're not one of those people, you're the mark at the table. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance and economics, and we talk shit. What is up, folks? Welcome in yet again to the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. In this RIP session, Josh and myself, Dan, were privileged to shoot the breeze with founder and CEO of Swan Bitcoin, Corey Clipston. In addition to his involvement at Swan, Corey serves as an advisor to Unchained Capital and Riot Blockchain, and he's also a partner at Bitcoin Ventures. He earned his MBA from Chicago Booth School of Business, and in a past life, he's worked at Google, McKinsey, Microsoft, and Morgan Stanley. In this RIP session, the three of us cover topics including Corey's price predictions for Bitcoin, why trading is such a terrible idea, the future of U.S. equities, the incredible mind of Lynn Alden, Turkish tea, horseshoes, and a lot more. You can follow Corey on Twitter at Corey Clipston. That's at C-O-R-Y-K-L-I-P-P-S-T-E-N. You can follow us on Twitter at Blue underscore Collar BTC. If you don't have one already, do yourself a favor and get an account set up at SwanBitcoin.com. The two of us dollar cost average on Swan, and we highly recommend all their services and education material. And lastly, if you are a regular listener of the BCB podcast and or you like what we're putting out, check out the support section down in the show notes. Now, without further ado, here's our chat with Corey Clipston. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Corey Clipston, welcome on the Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast. All right. Glad to be here, guys. We're revved up. Um, you said you've been in that chair we're looking at there for like nine hours today. So hopefully we can keep you entertained here for the next hour. No, no, not. It's not that bad. Not that bad. <laughs> Since nine, which means a little <laughs> over five hours. Uh, I did just run and grab some uh, some Turkish tea that my, my wife made with the double boiler and I got it in the swan cup. So I'm good. Is that the swan force on there? That's the swan force mug. Yes. Nice. Zazzle.com slash Swan Bitcoin. We make no profit on that whatsoever. So just go and like rip off our IP and sell it to your friends. It's it supersedes the space force. It's for sure more powerful. Exactly. Yeah. We were we were here with the force thing long before Mr. Lowry got on the scene. Dang it. Yeah, he should be uh subscribing to you guys, not the other way around there. I'm gonna be honest, I really want some Turkish tea right now. I'm nursing a an iced coffee that's been idle for a long time. It's pretty watered down. And uh, that looks pretty exciting, what you have there. Well, I'm trying to remember, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the 3200 block north Chicago? So like you go to diversity and then what's the next one? We're dunces on knowing the inner city. <laughs> like we work out yeah. in the burbs and like, it's like the classic, like we have friends in the city, but when we get there, we feel like we're aliens type deal. So you, yes. I mean, based on where you've lived, you actually probably know that answer better than we do, even though we're 30 miles away. I want to say it's Belmont, possibly. That sounds Maybe. right. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. People that live anyway. in the city that listen to this are going to be like, these fucking uh, clowns. They don't even... <laughs> There's a guy in LA schooling them on the blocks. <laughs> this is why Chicago. people that live in Chicago proper disown everyone in the suburbs because we use the word Chicago. Like, yeah, we're from the Chicago area. And they're like, you're not Chicagoans. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. You don't know anything about where we live. We prefer not to get it's shot so or funny. shot at. So we stay away. Okay. Well, I, was, I wasn't that close to it anyway. It looks like... <laughs> The one I'm thinking of is actually even further up. It's on Roscoe. But yeah, so somewhere up there, there's a place called Turquoise Restaurant. Um, and it is absolutely fantastic. And I remember going there many times when I lived in Chicago and getting that proper Turkish brunch on a Sunday with like, mm. the, you know, 30 plates on the table of everything you could possibly think of. So take the missus and the kids there sometime. It was very inexpensive, if I recall. But uh, yeah, it's a good, good city venture for you guys. Noted. Now, for me living in River North, that was actually like me going to the suburbs, going all the yeah. way up to Irving Park. <laughs> Corey, talk to us about your background, both professionally, uh, personally, and then your journey into Bitcoin. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting getting back to the West Coast now. I actually grew up out here in California and then Seattle. So Seattle's kind of home. I'm a Seahawks fan, Mariners fan, Sonics fan. That's been rough. Haven't won a game since 2008. But um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I just, uh, I was really drawn to the Midwest. I had family there. Um, both, both of my parents were from the Midwest. Uh, my uncle was kind of a, a well-known basketball coach in, in Kansas city, Missouri. Uh, so I went off to school at university of Missouri and, you know, had a blast out there. I was into journalism at the time. So I had a, got a broadcast degree for my undergrad. I was a really crappy local NBC TV reporter when I was in school. So just doing like local news and sports with like my pencil neck sticking out of an ill-fitting suit and uh, (laughs) got that out of my system. And then, you know, what basically started to take over is I I think I got online in like 93 or 94, you know, probably sophomore, junior year in high school um, on my my dad's Mac. And, um, you know, so I was starting to like enjoy the internet, trying to figure out what was going on there. And I was, you know, going to classes that would allow, we had some, some professors that were like really into the internet at Mizzou. And I used to like attend one of my classes online, even in probably 1995, 1996. Um, So I ended up kind of rebuilding elements of this TV station's website, the local NBC station. And then Microsoft had just done a joint venture with NBC. And so they were also creating like msnbc.com versions of the websites for all the NBC affiliates around the country. So I ended up doing that for msnbc.com as well. And I kind of used that as my interest in journalism was waning and my interest in tech was increasing. I used that to kind of transition and I got an internship with Microsoft in, uh, in 98 uh, out in Redmond back, uh, back home in Seattle. And so, yeah, that was that was kind of the genesis. I ended up going out to New York with Microsoft and working on a really early interactive television product. And I stayed in kind of like online Internet marketing stuff for a few years before going to business school. And then it was it was going to be school at University of Chicago that brought me out to Chi-Town, 0204. Made the mistake of not going back into tech. I went the consulting private equity old school business route for like seven years Learned a lot. It's good skills, good tools, all of that stuff. But as far as like doing anything, you know, interesting and lasting, uh, I always joke. I learned, I learned more in six months of opening up a restaurant in Chicago than I did in the four years of business school mm. and McKenzie. 
yeah, <laughs> the right. consulting firm that I joined. But like just being somewhere near the top of something where all the decisions are being made and you're just getting buffeted and all the all the dynamics of partners and investors and all of that, the learning is just so much faster. And I got really addicted to that. Um, that rush of just kind of being in the mix near the top of something. And I think a few years later, when I decided to get back into tech, I knew that I wanted to be involved in early stage companies. I knew that I wanted to be in there at like the angel round, the seed round, you know, series A and just kind of early stage growing things. I really love the idea of like the best idea I could have possibly had when I worked at Google might've changed their revenue by like 0.01%. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Probably not that much. Probably another couple of decimal points. But like <laughs> you can have like a great idea for a startup and like quadruple their revenue. Yeah. You know, yeah. and change their valuation from like, you know, five million to thirty million just with like one amazing idea. And I just love that. I want to highlight something very important here for listeners. In Corey, you said in ninety five, ninety six you were redesigning websites for corporations. In 95, 96, I was attempting to learn how to download pornography on my parents' computer. And I'm a firefighter. Corey's a CEO of a well-known company. So, you know, use your time. <laughs> learn from that. Let Josh be your example, folks. Uh, yeah. Listen, Josh, it's, it's, not a, it's not either or. It's more of like a yes and. Thing. Oh, that's true. Like, mm. why not both? Another. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> When does Bitcoin come into the equation for you? So you're, are you- So, yeah, so we're, so we're here. So uh, I left Google summer of 13 and spent the last eight and a half years now working exclusively in early stage startups, advising, investing, looking for places to you know, jump in and operate. I, I joined a team as a co-founder of like a video ad tech company for a couple of years. And then I was back to just advising and consulting from like 2015 through 2019. And like right in the middle of that was the bull run of 17, same as you guys. So all the noise around the price run up in the spring of 2017 drew me in. Hold on, was that a coordinated drink? Yeah, a coordinated drink I noticed session. that too. I thought we were just going to ignore it, but- That was awesome. It was unignorable. Um, unignorable, it was pretty funny. Um, for the listeners out there, they, they did like a synchronized sipping thing. Awesome. We only ever drink together. There's a signal we do here on the video and then we both grab our glasses. I love it. Nice. So, so yeah, that, that, that drew me in. I was fully in freaking tech land. And so my signals were all crossed. It was like, you know, the VCs and the founders and everybody was like totally in, I'm assuming I can swear on this blue collar yeah, podcast. Absolutely. With blue you language. may, sir. Yes. You so may. They were all, they were all like hardcore shit coining and, you know, luckily one of these shitcoin fund managers cared enough about me to say like at least start with bitcoin and then like figure out this other stuff so at least like started i read digital gold and you know the white paper and i kind of was looking at it that way but you know all of the signal in my professional and social network was like tokens 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 friction tokens market network tokens like this that the other and listening to Andreessen horowitz and fred wilson from you know union square ventures and all these guys that were signal to me in you know the, the world that I was in with marketplaces and SaaS companies yeah. and all this stuff. So, you know, so I did the shitcoin horseshoe, which is start with Bitcoin, explore shitcoins and come back around to Bitcoin. You know, yep. some people do it faster, like Sailor did it in three weeks. Took me 11 months. We've been um, around the horseshoe, Corey. Yep. Well, Sailor had the benefit of uh, a whole lot of good material by the time he jumped on board too. 
and a computer mainframe upstairs. Yes. Yeah, right? that's what I, I was going to talk about. What was between the ears there yeah. being a little different than, <laughs> than what I got, but <laughs> you know, and a good frame of reference. You know, like he had a really good yeah, mean, background. When, when you, you think know? about who he interacted with, I mean, I, I Boyapati and Parker Lewis, and I don't know who else. I mean, there's a whole list of people that he, you know, he's been vocal about influencing him. He he was barking up the right tree. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but you, so you have a really good point, right? So I think it was, there was so much noise. The signal was hard to find in all the noise. And so when I decided I wanted to go Bitcoin only in March or April of 2018, and then kind of shifting all my professional activities toward wanting to focus on just Bitcoin by the fall, I'm sitting there in like, you know, September of 2018 looking at, okay, what, what can I do? What do I feel is like the most pressing problem? And to me, it felt like scaling education, you know, through, through code and media was going to be the, the thing that I could help with the most. Um, and didn't really have like the right idea until the beginning of April of 2019. I finally had the idea to bundle, uh, bundle education about Bitcoin with a gift of Bitcoin as being, mm. you know, potentially a really effective way to uh, get somebody into Bitcoin, get them orange pilled. Um, you know, everybody likes giving somebody a little bit of Bitcoin as a way to try to get them into it. Hopefully they pay attention to the price a little bit. They try a transaction, stuff like that. So that was kind of the genesis of the original product, uh, Give Bitcoin, which we launched in the fall of, of 2019, was you give somebody some Bitcoin. It's a forced hodl. It was, it was escrowed for a year and they couldn't sell it. And then in that year, you know, we had, you know, 12 months or like the first six weeks, it was every week. And then the rest was kind of doled out over, over the rest of the period over, you know, once a month and, uh, and tried to orange spill these people. But what happened was as we were about to break ground on the platform in like summer of 2019, I was thinking like, okay, if, if this is successful, then, you know, why wouldn't the givers and the receivers want to buy some Bitcoin from us too, you know, and, and also, you know, this was kind of the, the summer of uh, Pierre and Firehouse and a lot of people talking about uh, Bitcoin as a savings technology and automatic recurring purchases and how you should just like set it and forget it and just always be buying Bitcoin every day, every week or every month. So we kind of built that into both the gifting side and the purchase for yourself side. And then when we launched in November, right out of the gate, like way over 90% of the volume was people buying for themselves. So the gift, the number of gifts was great, but a lot of people liked the fact that we actually had lower fees than Coinbase and Cash App in this gifting product and just immediately signed up and started using it as their, you know, their, their automatic recurring purchase thing. So I quickly turned around to Bitcoin, Twitter and podcast land and my own sort of like advisory board and realized, okay, we need to staff this up and we need to, you know, kind of pull this buy for yourself out of here and make it its own product. It was, it was silly to have that buried under the gift Bitcoin brand and interface. Uh, so Brady from Citizen Bitcoin joined up to help with marketing. Jan Pritzker, who wrote Inventing Bitcoin, uh, came on as CTO. And we started, and Brandon Quidham joined to help with the uh, comms. And, and then we got some designers and some coders and stuff and, and kind of made a much bigger plan, raised a little bit of money at the beginning of, uh, of 2020. And we launched Swan on the same back end, but just with a much better, you know, focus interface and a much better brand. We launched that in, uh, in March of 2020. Yeah, you guys really <clears throat> kind of burst onto the scene. I think it was a tweet or something that I saw somebody talk about you guys, and I immediately loved the product. I bought, thank God, I bought a significant amount 
uh, DCAing with you guys in 2020. It was a good time to yeah. be buying. It was great, man. You know, I think this this year has demonstrated for a lot of people that DCAing really and truly is a great way to go, especially with the expectations of cycle theory and everybody kind of jumping on, let's say, plan B's model, thinking we're going to hundreds and then expectations not being met. It's just a good reminder that slow and steady using your cash flow to DCA in overtime is a tried and true strategy that works for everyone. And it, and it, I think it eliminates a lot of stress. I'm, I mean, on my end, it does. Like just knowing that these recurring buys are happening helps me focus on fundamentals, lower my time preference, and keep your eyes on the price. Because like, you know, we often say on the show, we don't, we don't really talk about price much on this show. We've said like, I don't know if in 2022, we're going to 17,000 or 170. We just know that years or decades from now, you're going to want some of this shit. And um, the simplest way to do that is set that thing automatic. I needed this personally. I just needed to be like divorced from my phone and checking price and worrying about it and trading. And just like, it was not, not a good use of my time. You know, it's not a good use of most people's time. No, you know, very few, very few people win at trading. And the ones that do spend a lot of time on it. And, you know, for most people, it's not the most productive use of their time. They're going to end up with a lot more Bitcoin focused on doing something that they can make some money at, have some excess, put that money into Bitcoin. So I'm just a, I'm just a huge fan. I feel like uh, any day that I get a little bit of exercise, get outside and buy Bitcoin. It's a good day. Is a really, really good day. And, uh, and I always do the last one. so you guys added the smash buy button in the last last year or so i'd say i know i used it in the middle of the summer probably do you know when it launched uh did it launch on that giant 16th no it launched december 16th of 2020 which was the new all-time high it was the day we went through 20k was the day that we launched smash buys and (laughs) like we just like immediately ran out of liquidity. We just had like no more Bitcoin. I'm stuff. curious because you, you've got an insider view on this. Um, so are people using that smash buy more when you're seeing all-time highs or are they using that smash button more when you're seeing these like huge dips like we've been seeing like in the summer and then up till now? Yeah. When does that happen? The, the biggest volumes for us are in the weeks after a big pump. So there's like huge volumes like during the pump, but then yeah. as soon as it drops and people think that it's on sale, like it's just nuts. Yeah. So I, okay. I remember like the two or three weeks after the peak, whenever that was in May, uh, was crazy. And then all of December was crazy, um, you know, kind of after the November peak. So yeah, it's just, uh, just depends. But now like people, people just love seeing a four handle on Bitcoin. You know, because we're we're used to seeing fives and sixes, so it just looks like it's on sale every day. Right. Yeah. It's also a little bit hard for me to, because we have two things going on, right? We have like the fruits of our efforts from sales and marketing, and then we also have you know price driven news that drives signups and volume. Yeah. And so I never quite know which is doing the work. <laughs> I hope that we're becoming more and more responsible for delivering our own numbers, but uh, you know. It does feel like Bitcoin is on sale and that might be why volumes are better. Yeah. Anybody's tossed the idea around of a panic sell button? <laughs> What's a panic sell button? Doesn't exist. <laughs> Not on Swan. There is no sell button. It's a beautiful um, thing. Yeah. That's, it's, a, it's a feature, not a bug. Obviously, we could put a sell button on the website if we wanted to. We have the functionality on the back end and 
uh, we just make people call us or get in touch and answer a couple of very hard questions about their priorities in life. Uh, Talk them off the ledge. If they, if they want to sell. Yeah. And it works. This is why being education forward is the key. Like with your business model yeah. of Bitcoin only and DCA being a, a primary product for you, it's like that is how you're going to get loyal customers and hopefully profits is is educating people on what we're dealing with here. Because, you know, it's not that we're OGs, but even having been in for whatever, four and a half years, you realize how massive the swath of newcomers is. I mean, even just from Twitter DMs yeah. and other things like that, like you're, you're talking to an audience as a podcaster, assuming kind of everybody's in your spot, forgetting that so many people are brand new to the space, have never lived through a cycle, have probably read one article about Bitcoin. And we've all been there. The three of us have yeah. all been there. It, it, and it takes time to get someone up to speed to understand how this thing works, what the addressable market could be, the problems it's solving in the marketplace and for humanity in general. But it takes so long to get that po- to that point and it requires handholding and you have to direct people to the right spot. And that's where marrying a DCA product like you have with robust education material is is such a brilliant idea. Yeah. Yeah. I like it a lot. <clears throat> By the way, I ran the numbers just now. And uh, so far we're at uh, 99.986% buys versus sells all time. Wow. You guys are talking a lot of people off the ledge or they're just going to shit Coinbase and selling it there. Could be. I don't know. Their loss. Literally. Yeah. So what in your journey, what brings you back to Bitcoin only? So if we're picturing the horseshoe here that you've laid out, I don't know yeah. if this is the right terminology, but you have the, the, the prong on the left where you started in Bitcoin, then you've got the crown yeah. of the horseshoe where you're shitcoining, and then you're back to the prong on the right. The horseshoe is, no, no, the horseshoe is always upside down. You start here uh, on level ground and so the, then so what would we down call into the, the shit. Yeah, the valley. Yeah, you're yeah, right. That's a good point. You got to reverse it. That's why we have yeah. you on to clarify this. So you've got prong valley and then you're back up to this bitcoin only prong what brought you there what brain brought you full circle uh i mean really it was it was learning i mean i can i can i can point to the the little shitcoin bubble of false mental models that was building in my own head had its first little pinprick didn't pop it completely but it like let let the crap start to seep out of my mental bubble balloon in like october or november of 2017, it was at a blockchain conference. I've told this story before, but uh, you know, I was like walking outside because it was a nice day in Santa Monica at the Aviation Museum, and you know, like looking around, people inside is a madhouse. There's like girls in like giant platform shoes and jumpsuits selling shit coins, and <laughs> lawyers promising this and that, security token crap, whatever. And you know, I was like all hyped up. It was like cool, and then I'm like. I look outside and there's people on the lawn out there and, you know, there's like this, this group of like, you know, probably like three or four people kind of just sitting on the lawn and kind of like looking askance at other people, not really like necessarily digging the other scene. And I just found that incredibly interesting and had to go over and see who these people were. And uh, one of them was uh, like a pretty fit, pretty tall Korean dude with a cowboy hat. And, you know, he's kind of looking around at everybody like he fucking hated them and wanted them all to die. I know who that was. was. Like, well, that, that's very attractive I mean, to find out what this guy's about. And uh, it ended up being Jimmy Song. And uh, we didn't get deep into it, but it was enough that I wanted to follow up and, you know, find out, you know, what he'd written and, and what he was saying. And 
so it's like watching some Jimmy Song YouTube videos. And then I kind of went down the Andreas Antonopoulos rabbit hole and understanding what Bitcoin was. And, you know, it, it was hard with Andreas because he would also have a video about how there's going to be 10,000 monies out there. You know, so like that, that wasn't fitting. But a lot of the stuff about Bitcoin was, you know, dead on, spot on and, and just made you really appreciate this thing. Um, so those two helped a lot. And then uh, Nakamoto Institute. So just looking at some of the kind of early writings from like 2013, 14, 15, that they'd kind of put in the, in the mempool there was good. Uh, and then, you know, I was, I was like trading shit coins on Binance and, you know, automatically buying the shit coins when they launched on Binance stopped working after January 8th or whatever that was when the, when the altcoin crash was. And, you know, I was just like, and I was stressed out. I'd be like, I was like in Palm Springs with my wife and my kid and I got another one now, but, uh, you know, I was like waking up and like checking price alerts and stuff. And, and I didn't have any sense, unlike startups where I knew about their operation. I was like, this is just a ticker. This doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And I was also like meeting all these people too. Cause I was like, you know, consulting to post ICO projects and ended up, <laughs> this is pretty funny. We'll get to it. When I realized that I wanted to focus on only Bitcoin, I had recently been hired as president and chief investment officer of a nine figure crypto fund. <laughs> <laughs> and I had already hired like 12 people. Sir, there's one minor conflict of interest here. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to like extricate myself from that over the, <laughs> over the next four or five months. I had to extricate myself from that and like find new homes and counsel people. I'm like, sorry, I brought you here. Like, I'm not doing this. Like it was you guys are thing. living a lie over the, over the summer of 2018. And, you know, I, I tried to like jam a square peg in a round hole for a minute there. I tried to start like a Bitcoin ecosystem fund in the summer of 2018, uh, actually with like Steve Lee, who runs uh, spiral and a couple other people. So I was trying to get that going under that brand. It was just a total misfit. I realized there's just no way for me to do Bitcoin stuff under this brand. So I just like cut bait, spent a month in Turkey with my wife and her family and chilling and, and came back and like retrenched Bitcoin only when I came back. I love the word extricate. So that that's, I think that's our new mission here at the uh, Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. We're going to take the jaws of life and extricate you from the shitcoin pinning accident you're in right now. Yeah. <laughs> Get him out of the backdraft, man. <laughs> there have to be some serious challenges. I'm interested to hear some of your thoughts on this about being Bitcoin only in the sense that like, I know there's, there's upside and a lot of people are drawn to you because of your ethos, but what have been some of the challenges yeah. in confronting kind of the rest of the crypto space? So it's, uh, Leaving aside the correctness and moral rectitude of being Bitcoin only, which is more than reason enough, and I, I couldn't do it any other way. Uh, from a business standpoint, I think it's definitely long-term greedy to build on a platform that's for sure going to be yeah. there. Yeah, um, It's probably short-term greedy too, because you get the organic reach of all the Bitcoin fans around the world that wouldn't support you if you also did shitcoin stuff. So you'd actually have to pay for all that user acquisition and all that organic media if you, you know, because you're just another shitcoin company, another crypto company. So yep. you have to pay, you know, $100 to download eToro or whatever they pay, right? So it's a little bit more dog eat dog in, in the crypto world. Um, as far as like exchanges go and like businesses, 
Now, printing your own money with a token, like that's a whole other thing. Like they they may or may not play that Ponzi game well. And, you know, it's all kind of zero sum and most of it goes to the insiders, like power law distributions. Um, so that's a whole other thing. But I don't think any of that is really uh, defensible <laughs> when you're... When you're talking to your kids 20 years from now, like that's not what you're going to bring up when you tell the story of how you got your money. Exactly. Like you guys are building something <laughs> with a solid foundation that's going to last a long, I mean, a much longer time than building something on XRP or some other shit coin that yeah. has got no real fundamentals and yeah. is clear to anybody who isn't brand new to the space is going to disappear. I mean, who knows when? I mean, who knows when you run out of idiots, yeah. but it's yeah. built on nonsense. Now, if you're trying to make a career in media, Obviously, you can get way, 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 way bigger in shitcoin media. Yes. And probably the dominant strategy is to be like pro Bitcoin and crypto friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Right? To like include everybody. You know, I like Bitcoin by my shitcoin. To just be like, hey, I, I love I love Bitcoin, but, you know, I'll take these board seats at these shitcoin infrastructure companies and I'll have these crypto founders on my show. Like that's that's kind of the pomp model. Right. So that clearly helps you build a much bigger following way, way, way faster if you're nice to shitcoin people. Um, this is going to be a tough one to answer in a short amount of time, but we've, we've been lobbing a lot of insults at shitcoins, rightfully so. What If you're encountering someone for the first time and your, your goal is to get them to stay on the first prong and not go into the valley of the horseshoe, what is your sort of thousand foot argument for why Bitcoin is the only thing in the space that you should pay attention to? I usually start by saying that Bitcoin is the only thing you should stay pay attention to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, I think it's just that I, what I usually do is I, I so I do this a lot because I'll, I'll go on crypto podcasts and spread the Bitcoin message. And what I usually do is I talk to them as if they're going to pass along the message to somebody else. Or as if they're going to make a recommendation to somebody else. And, and then I'm going to work back to like what the analog is here. So when I go on like, you know, like a altcoin daily or a crypto window or something like that, like we basically what the pitch is, is like, listen, I know you, you're smart. And I know like, obviously like your audience is listening to you guys. So, you know, they must be like super smart. Right. But I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to like, you know, your, your frat brother, your coworker, your boss, your auntie, like those people. You got to be honest with those people and you got to let them know that the distributions for crypto trading are like power law. It's one or 2% of the people taking all the money from everybody else. And so if you're not one of those insiders, if you're not one of those VCs that gets the coin at half a penny before it goes on any exchange at 30 cents, if you're not one of those people, you're the mark at the table. If you're a click trader, which is what these hedge funds make fun of people who actually use their hands and a mouse and a keyboard to actually place a trade. If you're one of those people that's a click trader, you're the mark, you know? So maybe you've been spending, you know, 10, 15 years, you know, maybe you come from options trading and now you trade crypto and you have like your black box algorithms and you're arbing across exchanges and you're plugged in by API with your formulas and you have some coders coding Perl scripts and stuff like that. If that's you. That's awesome. That's great. Like kill it. Be a mercenary, be a trader. I hope you're one of the people that are winning. But for your, your friends, like you know they're not spending 40, 50 hours a week in front of a computer screen with the green lights on their face and watching alerts come in at like 3 or 4 a.m., right? Like that's, that's not what your auntie is going to do, right? right? So you don't want them to have to be a crypto trader and have to like 
have all this inside information and access and hang out in discords and stuff so they don't get wrecked, right? You just want them to just be able to do what they do to make money in their life and to be able to store their value. And even if you are a winner, you know you can't buy and hold these things forever. So like rotate your winnings into Bitcoin into your long-term stack. Obviously, like what you're getting at when you do that is like, you're actually talking to like 99.9% of their audience because they know they're not that person. And the amount of risk that is in these things is not measurable. Like at any, there's such an illiquid market. When these things do go sideways, we've talked about this many times, the liquidity is not there. So your shit coin that's at $1.50 goes to 30 cents. And even if you've got orders in to sell it, it might just, it might not even be able to be sold at your limit order because the market just was illiquid. And now you're, you're sitting on a bag of dog shit and it just happens really quickly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's market structure stuff and that's, that's somewhat defensible. I think the better one is probably just like trading is not fun. Like it's, it's not a good way to spend your time. And if you feel like going through that, you know, that pain of learning, like, so be it. Good luck. Make sure you factor in that I and millions of other people have already done that before and realize that, you know, neither, neither you nor we are professional crypto traders and that you're better off making money uh, some other way where you actually add real value to the world and putting some of your, storing some of your value in Bitcoin. Uh, on the on the altcoin topic, we're constantly plugging Lynn Alden on this show, but she has a couple articles that come to mind for me. She has, uh, we'll link these in the show notes. One is specifically about Ethereum. It's from months ago. And then one's more recent where she talks about proof of stake versus proof of work, altcoins, Ethereum, Bitcoin. It's a fairly comprehensive article. Phenomenal. And, I, and the thing I love about Lynn is just how fair she is. I mean, her tone is so fair. She's so incredibly well-researched. And I think if you're a reader of Lynn, you come out understanding the counter-arguments. She does a very good job of steel-manning the other position. And I think if I was to sort of summarize where she goes, it's just one of these protocols is solving a problem that is paramount. And it's demonstrated that it is going to win. Uh, I think most rational people will agree in the sound money, store of value, immutable protocol money world, Bitcoin is the victor. And that leaves other use cases, which A, aren't proven to be real life use cases, but if they are, the winners of that use case and who's going to capture market is so catastrophically unknown that it really is simply a lot like walking into a casino and pulling the one-armed bandit. And, and not that I'm privy to altcoin land all that well, but like what Solana has walked in and done this year has proven that the quicker and more centralized you are, the more market share you're going to gain in DeFi. I mean, the incentive structure in altcoins is exactly the opposite of what it is in Bitcoin. And that is problematic. And I would say, not that as Bitcoiners were worried or threatened, so maybe this isn't a fair analogy, but like, the biggest threat to a sheep is not a wolf. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And the mission and ethos of these coins countervails Bitcoin dramatically. But that's so hard to understand when you're first introduced to this whole idea of digital currency. Really well said, man. Yeah. Really well said. Uh, obviously, we're massive Lynn fans, as you can imagine. And she's been a, I mean, she's 
bought most of her Bitcoin through us over the years, which is pretty cool. Uh, and she now sits on our uh, board of directors. So um, our board is actually me, Lynn, and Jan. I didn't know so, that. Yeah, and actually, I got to get, get my shit together because I got a board meeting in like two weeks. And I don't know if you've ever actually tried to like, you know, man up and have a conversation with Lynn and not just get like. I can't even imagine. Like she's know, obliterated. She's it's, just an animal when it comes to this stuff like she's just i feel really guilty when i say things to lynn that aren't well thought through <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i'm just like wasting her i'm just like totally wasting her time does she that look at you like does she just look through you yeah here's my secret when i say something that's like half baked it's maybe this is how the uh the psychologist can always tell if somebody's like talking out of their ass it's like i can't look her in the eye when i'm saying something half baked so i'm like i'll be on zoom and i'll just be like i'll be like Maybe if so, I don't know, maybe anyway. And here's, I mean, to keep stroking Lynn's ego, which is well-deserved, like this is one tiny piece of her understanding of markets. Like the amount of research that goes into understanding these Bitcoin and altcoin dynamics is crazy when you finish these 50 page articles. And then you're like, this is a drop in the bucket of what she's commentating on. She's, she's versed in everything in macro. It's mind blowing. Some people are just better than us. Yeah, exactly. I came to about a yeah. long time ago, I was like, Mac Jones is going to be like rookie of the year. And he had a 4.0 in econ. Like that dude is just better than me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. just what it is. <laughs> just to change gears here a bit. Um, where, why, how do you see Bitcoin adoption growing in the next five years? Do you, do you see any regulatory roadblocks impeding it? Like you guys are dealing with, are you guys dealing with regulators on a regular basis at Swan? 10x users, 10x price, less worry of regulation wow knocked that one out done nbd <laughs> you probably don't need any of this is essentially what he just said do you guys have a lot of um interplay between regulators at all at swan or how much do you guys have to deal with that no we don't really need to do much at all actually yeah i mean i, I kind of set it up i didn't i didn't want to have you know compliance and a bunch of lawyers in-house and all that kind of crap so um we were able to figure out a way to sit on top of uh legal custodian okay so you outsource that part of it exactly and so basically through our interface every swan user is actually opening up a trust account at prime trust that they access through swan but if you notice like if you ever have had uh like a withdrawal trigger either manual or automatic we send you an email and you have to confirm it right that confirm button only you have access to that swan can't touch that can't send that can't control that in any way that email is actually coming from prime trust yeah i have noticed that it just didn't yeah it didn't occur to me but that is that's really smart because you just don't have to deal with all that bullshit and i'm sure it's a lot yeah i mean it's it's not something you would want to deal with in your first few years you know if you if you can prove that you can build a brand and you know get people to sign up for your service then i think if you hit scale, it makes sense to bring some of that stuff in house. But when you're first starting out, like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like you can offer the same service without that. So see if you're any good. And then if you are, then you can later bring that kind of stuff in house. Back to your response to Josh's question. You said <laughs> 10X users. What was the other thing you said? I thought it was pretty clear, 10X, Dan. I don't know 10X why we're user, going back. 10X price, <laughs> less yeah. worries about regulation. So let's... That's like 2027. Didn't you say, did you say four years or five years? Five years. Yeah, that's, that's super bearish price prognostication right there. Sorry about that. What, 10x? Yeah, that's, that's those super, are, super bearish. 
what is what what is Plan B calling for in 2027? Is he isn't he saying over a million? <laughs> yeah. Oh, did we stop using Plan B? Did we stop <laughs> yeah. now? We're not the allowed. Space to, is too cool for him. He got disowned. That, that who must not be spoken of, Plan B. So what is that that future you envision? Like, you know, there's there's a lot of different opinions on this and and sort of gaming this out. Do you see? Bitcoin is world reserve currency. Do you see it working alongside fiat for a period of time? Do you think we're going to be in a totally Bitcoinized world where every bagel you buy on a street corner is with sats? Like, what, what is sort of the future you envision on that five-year timeline and beyond if we zoom out 10, 15 years? Well, so it's already living side by side with fiat currencies because obviously there are people spending Bitcoin and the volumes are going up. You know, basically people... People who have been in eight to 10 years, if they, if they were really into it eight to 10 years ago and kept buying along the way, then by definition, you're going to end up with like over 90% of your value stored in Bitcoin. So at some point, people start spending and, and we're seeing that. We're seeing that those volumes from the, the payment processors and the Lightning Network companies and stuff, like there is a growth trajectory of people spending Bitcoin. It's super early. And, you know, I don't think Bitcoin really takes off as a medium of exchange until the class of 2017 has been in Bitcoin for eight to 10 years. So that's kind of when I thought about whether to get into payments or whether to get into selling the asset. And I made my decision to like work on selling the asset. It was because I didn't think that medium of exchange would really take off in a big way until like 2025. Mm. And I didn't understand exactly why I now have backfilled like why, what the dynamics at play are and what the timing is and why I think that's true. And I think that was the right call. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, those numbers, those numbers go up, man, they go up. And if there's not that many players in the space, you know, it can be more than enough to sustain a venture and a growing venture and a growing company. And you can have revenue from like companies where you're solving problems for them and, you know, taking rips from their side and, you know, not just the transaction side of the user. Um, so I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with, with payments and medium of exchange. And that's why we're, I, I've personally been investing in a lot of the like lightning companies and wallet companies over the last couple of years. And then now Swan is getting into it and we're planning to release a lightning wallet later this year. So I think, uh, that should be pretty cool, but I will say like, so some of the things I've said before is like, uh, when I think about my own personal family finances and like Swan's balance sheet, I basically factor in like a 90% chance that we'll hit sat cent parity this decade. So a million dollars a coin by 2030. Dang. 90% chance. I guess I want to ask your opinion a little bit about the more macroeconomic things going on in the world. And I, I don't think that sounds ridiculous at all. But at that point, I mean, do you think that it's as much Bitcoin appreciation as it is dollar depreciation at that point? No, much more Bitcoin purchasing power appreciation. I'm just thinking of Lawrence Lepard. We spoke to him a few episodes ago and his he had a pretty aggressive timeline for him, for his thoughts on when he saw maybe some hyperinflation in the dollar. He was talking about two to five years, which I mean, the way he was prepping us to hear that was... He was like, you know, it might be a while. It might be. And I was thinking, oh, he's going to say 20 years. He's like, yeah, two to five years. And I was like, so shocked to hear someone in his position say something that aggressive that it just, I laughed because I was like, that was so unexpected to hear him say that. Yeah. Made me want to get in the car and go to Cabela's and buy another gun after (laughs) he said that. 
You think that's uh, any possibility this decade at the rate of the clip we're going, or you you think uh, this thing can hang on for quite a long time yet? There, there's an interesting countervailing force, and Lynn talks about this sometimes, mostly Tom Lee from Fundstrat, probably is best known for this thesis, which is basically that U.S. equities can't go anything but up from now till like 2038, um, which is kind of the, the peak consumption year for the millennials, which is the largest generation in the history of the U.S. And when you couple that with uh, the still ridiculous demand for dollars, around the world because there's so much dollar denominated debt from companies and countries around the world that can't raise in, in their local currency. Nobody will lend to them unless it's dollar denominated. It means that there's just insane dollar demand for the next couple of decades. And this is kind of like the dollar milkshake theory that Brent Johnson always talks about, right? Yeah. So when you couple that, as they get the dollars in, you know, as these things flow, whenever somebody needs to store value, you know, Basically, the only safe, well-regulated sort of place you can trust that actually has yield that outplaces inflation is the U.S. stock market, right? Other than Bitcoin. So I think that you're going to see like a secular bull market in U.S. equities for a long time, you know, another 15, 17, 18 years, something like that, and that will essentially kind of prop up the system long enough. I hope for a much softer landing, you know, the kind of going like this. Right. And this is kind of what um, Nick Batia, I think, said at first, and then SAFE started talking about it, but this, this idea of the soft landing for the dollar, and that you wouldn't necessarily need to see hyperinflation because if demand falls for the dollar, you could cut the supply for the dollar along the way. And hopefully without ridiculous disruption just let bitcoin replace a lot of that supply and demand basically over time i hope it happens that way i do too um but that does introduce a whole lot of moving parts for these guys at the fed to have to pull the right strings at the right times and to me that almost goes back to thinking about the way you were talking about trading shit coins like that's timing the market that's trying to pull strings at the right time that's staying up all night i mean who in their right mind would want to be sitting in that chair through any of this shit is beyond me. If I were Powell, I yeah. would have said, fuck this shit and walked away from it before I got reaffirmed in the fall, which I, he's crazy, I think, but I hope he knows what he's doing. So way out, way out over my skis here, but I do wonder if they just like set the damn rate at 2% for like five decades and didn't touch it, if we'd all just be better off. Probably. Stop messing with this <laughs> thing, man. Yeah. Yeah, like why does it have to go up to like, you know, 18 and 70s, 80s and then like down to zero and up to three and then down to three and, you know, it's just, it's yeah. funny. Um, so another thing that I, I like to uh, guess at, but I think is probably about right is like, I think by 2035, you'll be able to pay for most goods and services in most places around the world uh, denominated in SATs. So there will actually be like a Satoshi's price in 15 years be wild pretty much everything you want to buy um there may still be a dollar price a euro price a yen price a pound price on it too but it'll be like two prices at checkout two prices on the tag it's crazy how quickly that infrastructure got stood up in el salvador i think our view on el salvador is like we're reasonably excited for el salvador um we're, we're cautious with celebrating stuff like that that we don't fully understand like it's a it's a really cool experiment and they're moving forward but 
Bukele is an interesting character and there's more to think about there. And that's where like thinking of another article is Gladstein has an awesome article on the nuances of what's going on in El Salvador and kind of weighing all the sides. The original point I'm making though, is just like, it's insane how quickly McDonald's and Starbucks and all the merchants were selling things in sats and dollars. Like for the naysayers, they're yeah. like, how would that ever work? You know, you're seeing all this social media of like, no, you can buy a Big Mac in Bitcoin denominated in Bitcoin. You can buy a Big Mac for somebody remotely for them while they're standing at the El Salvador and McDonald's, you know, from your couch in Chicago. By the way, so sh- shout out Unsung Hero. I, I wish I could lend us some, some marketing folks to help out OpenNode, but like that's all OpenNode. Uh, the it? other LA Bitcoin company. Um, so they're the ones working with all the multi- multinationals accepting the Bitcoin payments all through El Salvador. They're the only, only US company that got approved to work there uh, by the central bank and everything. So, and this is really interesting, right? Because you don't need other countries to adopt it. You just needed that signpost of saying like, Hey, there's demand for this. People will pay in sats and it's not that hard and it doesn't cost you the multinational much money. Like it's just like a little slice of the interchange fee that's going to the service provider. And there will be others, obviously block, you know, square, is going to go hard at this this year. Yeah. And so I think there's going to be this this race between Mastercard, Visa, Block, Open Node, Stripe, like whatever these payment processors to just light up the whole fucking world completely orange. And much more important than Bitcoin as legal tender, which is like doesn't matter really. Like it's too early for people to really want to have their entire balance in Bitcoin for the most part. Just proving that out. It's just such a good thing to be able to point to and say like, hey, we did this for Starbucks. We did this for McDonald's. You can do this in the US with all these multinationals. You can do this in Bulgaria. You can do this in Argentina. You can do this in Nigeria. And like just making it really obvious that it's not that hard. Yeah. And with all of these small currencies in these smaller countries around the world failing, Venezuela, Turkey, Lebanon, all these places. And then you see something, an example like El Salvador and people are connected to the internet. They're seeing this thing. Like how long before they put enough pressure or there's new political regime in there that's just going to say, why do we keep building this currency that fails every 10 years? Why not just do this? It's literally demanded all over the world. You can send it all over the world without any gatekeepers. And it's just so sensical in a world of craziness these days. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see the interplay between sort of dollarization of a lot of these economies. Uh, which is the natural trend sans Bitcoin. Like without Bitcoin, that's what basically happens. Charted against the rise of Bitcoin. And, you know, I think if Bitcoin was already $5 million a coin, people would just switch to Bitcoin. But the capacity just isn't there. And there's just, there's going to be a lot of volatility and purchasing power along the way that makes it kind of scary for people to just turn over their whole balance to Bitcoin. Like you can... You can get away with it for sort of, you know, paycheck to paycheck, day to day type things out of like working capital that could all be in Bitcoin because it doesn't really matter. Some money comes in, some money comes out. Not much tax consequence. Doesn't really matter that much. You kind of bought some Bitcoin around the same price that you just sold it for when you paid for something with it. But when you have, you know, large company level expenditures, you know, in the future, it'll hurt you if you acquired a lot of Bitcoin at a very high price whether that's by purchasing it or by selling goods for Bitcoin and now keeping it in Bitcoin. And if the purchasing power of Bitcoin drops by 50% or 40% or whatever between 
those two time periods and you're stuck with a bill, um, it's really hard to run a business or a family like that. Yep. It's baby steps. For it's easier for people that have like flexible spending. So if you're like a single dude and you could like, you know, go to the Ritz or eat ramen, you can weather it, you know? So like, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of like all familyless people and people who don't run companies being hundred percent on Bitcoin, like lead the way, get on zero. Absolutely. I'll help. <laughs> it's just not, it's just not for everyone just yet. Cause it's just too volatile. Yeah. I think there's a lot of practical wisdom there. And I think a lot of it depends on age too. That's an easier decision to make if you're 23 years old than if you're 73. Yeah. I wanted to ask you this question just about your business. So you guys charge 99 basis points for uh, if I go and I do my DCA. You guys are getting some competition now from like the likes of Strike who are charging I, I don't, a little bit less. 30, 30 bips, I think. Yeah, I think it's 30. So, um, But their pricing varies, I'm told, quite a bit as well. It seems like that's going to be more of a competitive race to the bottom. How do you guys... How do you guys see that um, as a threat or how, how are you guys going to try to compensate there? So first, of all, first off, I'd say, I'd say stack where you want to stack, like wherever you're comfortable, like uh, no problem with that. Strikes great. Jack obviously like gets, gets on CNN and CNBC and it's He's awesome hilarious when he does it. Super cool, right? He's yeah. so In that shoe closet? Um, yeah, <laughs> With a great. hoodie on? The empty closet. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So I, I love those videos. I think they're super fun and good for Bitcoin and you know, race cars with Bitcoins on them. Like it's super dope. But, you know, like it's not a sustainable business. So they've got to get to somewhere where they can sell to a bigger company or they have to start charging people for something somewhere else. It's not in the payment processing fees. That's not going to be it because they're not on the merchant side. Um, so they're going to have to charge the user for transaction fees or they're going to have to make money some other way because they lose money on every single user, every single trade today. Yeah. And that's sustainable as long as the founder is like super rich and they have venture capital money to spend. But it's, it's a lot like Uber going into a market and like giving you a bunch of free rides. And then after they locked up the market and got rid of the taxis, then they raise your rates. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. I just like we're a little older and just kind of like, you know, I'm not down to be totally owned by VCs and I don't want to have to take Pomp's money and like do things he says. And like, <laughs> we just wanted to like control. Wait, wait, control you buy a Bitcoin destiny. pizza today? Just wanted you to control our pizza? own destiny completely. <laughs> I just wanted to control our own destiny completely. It and, sounds like you, you got know. a bone to pick with Pomp. I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of like I love Bitcoin buy my shitcoin. So you know all the all the shitcoin showing over the years is just really annoying. And I think he wraps himself in a Bitcoin flag. And I so I've listened coins. to him on occasion. Uh, whenever there's like a show that has someone on that I'm interested in, I'll, I'll listen to it. Yeah. I guess I haven't paid enough attention to him to see enough of the shilling. I, I'm not saying he's not doing it. I just haven't paid attention to it. So yeah. I'm going to have to keep my eyes peeled for that, though, because it's more like who he gives the platform for too, and like who he lets on. And, you know, it, you have to be kind of like in the industry to see it all kind of go down. I will say this, like. He's a fun dude. I've known him since 2015. I like hanging out with him one on one. I, I have quibbles with a lot of my people that I like and enjoy spending time with about, you know, what they may choose to do. You know, the, I, I have arguments with people. It's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, Preston and I have beef over things. I fucking love Preston. Like, what was your beef with Preston? It is what it is. <laughs> what you guys, do you guys, uh, uh, do you guys fight? Plan B. Oh, yeah. it was a plan B. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm like the original critic of the models from day one, basically. Well, that's kind of a bittersweet moment for you then, isn't it? Like yeah. everyone would have loved for him to be right, but I mean, you got it. He couldn't have been right though. It's not, it had nothing to do with timing. The models were broken from the beginning. They're actually like statistically invalid. So they were always bullshit. And that's the point that I make. Everybody keeps DMing me and like writing me and saying like, hey, you were right. And I'm like, yeah, I was right back in 2019. Can Thanks. you, can you just give us a little bit of, uh, can you flesh that out? Like what was the, I'm curious. Um, yeah. So basically the stock is on both axes of the chart. It's in both price or market cap, however you want to talk about it, and in stock to flow. So obviously, if you have the same term on both axes, it's going to be auto-correlated. Okay. And it's also going to go up. <laughs> and the price goes up. And so it's going to be, there's going to be spurious, which means like not real correlation. And it looks like these things are related. So, and then the marketing of it all along, like let alone the fact that if you adjust for autocorrelation, the R0 actually drops to 0.0. I'm sorry, the, the R squared, the, the correlation. If you adjust for autocorrelation, which basically means how related is, you know, the data point at T plus one to the data point at, at T. Yeah. If you adjust for that, which is like a well-known thing that you do in statistics, the R squared actually drops to zero. There is no reason for the S2F variable to be in that. So really all you should be looking for is like a best fit line. And there are millions of best fit lines from historical data that actually predict the price of Bitcoin better than when you include an extraneous variable that uh, is actually non-random. We actually know exactly within a tiny, tiny range, exactly what S2F, what stock to flow is actually going to be. So anyway, that's, that's some of the stuff. Um, you know, it just never, it was, these models were actually invalid. A lot of people, mostly because plan B says it will say like all models are wrong. Some are useful. It's actually all valid models are wrong and some are useful. If you have set up an invalid model, it doesn't get discussed in class. It gets thrown out. It's on the trash heap. Those models were invalid. The marketing of them have been basically like just completely false and charlatan like all along. Um, so they call it, you know, I think BT Econometrics calls it a chameleon model where you constantly shift it and change it. And, you know, and he's actually changed the numbers over time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people get confused and will put on Twitter, well, it was right from like, you know, 2012 to 2019, you know, so now it's finally like wrong a little bit. And it's like, no, of course it was perfect from 2020, 2012 to 2019, because that's the backfit data. You backfit the line to match the pre-existing data. You have to look at what happened since you put the model out. It's been atrocious ever since then, right? Been horrible at predicting the Bitcoin price, let alone the fact that it's invalid. So anyway, I just think it's been, you know, just hopium to gather a following so he can like pimp his fund. And, you know, where some Bitcoiners have, you know, taken umbrage is, you know, basically what happens is scammers don't really care if you call them a scammer because they already know who they are. Uh, the people that really hate hearing from someone who's calling bullshit on, on opium are the people getting scammed. People really don't like to hear that they've been scammed because it, it just like punches your brain. Yeah, right it's like an affront to your intelligence. It's an affront to your intelligence if you've been scammed. And so yeah. I think that's where a lot of prominent people in the space have had a lot of trouble sort of backing away from it. And have gotten really angry at the people that have been calling out the obvious fact that you can learn in 10 minutes on Wikipedia enough stats to completely debunk this bullshit. 
the other thing about the model. That's all I did, by the way. I hadn't studied stats since like 2003 or four, but I went on Wikipedia and figured it out. <laughs> the other thing about models are just dangerous for a lot of people. They incentivize trading and, and fear and loose hands because there's this you know massive sort of group think and expectation that price is going to be at a certain point. And when your expectation isn't yeah. met, it can uh, get in the way of true conviction and diamond hands. At least we've seen that some yeah. with this model. And, and that's where, yeah, we're talking about years long time frame. This plan needs to be hatched over years and decades, not months. And I think models like that inhibit that goal. By the way, if there if there were no other critics of all the on-chain analytics hopium from last year and all the people rising from nowhere to have hundreds of thousands of followers with the on-chain and bullshit, if nobody was criticizing them, I would have taken up the flag and, and torn them apart too. But there were plenty of people handling them. But you know, it's the same thing. It's just it's just reading the tea leaves. It's just, you know, chartists are basically like it's astrology for dudes. <laughs> I've know, heard that before. Like, I love that too. I yeah, love that. It's, astrology just, it's stupid. You don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> especially if you're 19 or 20. Like you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. You haven't seen shit. And, you know, have some humility in the face of like the most important invention since the industrial revolution. Right. Have some fucking humility and just like buy and hold. This pie, you know, back to the question about different companies and where you can buy, this pie is going to be so freaking large that yeah, there's just going to be a lot of people that are going to be able to contribute. Yeah. Like the addressable market here is so massive. And so big. if you build it, they will come. If you have a good product in this space that's user-friendly. I mean, UX is huge. That may not sound cool huge on stuff. Bitcoin Twitter, but like, you know, back to your product, like when my dad, who is just recently in the last few months shown interest, you can have this Swan account set up in, you know, four minutes it's super simple. I watched my 74-year-old neighbor do it in front of me on his phone in like three minutes. Bananas. Like, hey, I just like, just get out your license, go to swan.com, like, just do it. It's super easy, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot, a lot more of our revenue comes from the high end over time. And those people value the service and the fact that we have like a professional sales team. And then obviously the UX is beautiful for the, for the retail website. Our customer service is off the charts. Anybody who's ever had a problem knows that, you know, you can get a swan on a freaking Zoom call or you can text us <laughs> like that's not changing. And we're so good at, at building technology that handles all of the things that we see on a repeat basis that we're only ever left with the edge cases that haven't been solved yet, which means there's always somebody to talk to because so few people as a percentage, the percentage of people, even as we grow, the percentage of people who need to talk to somebody at, at Swan just drops by like 10x every six months. So I, it just feels very sustainable. You know, I, I think margin compression happens over some time frame, but I think we'll be a different company by then with like 10 other, th 10 other business lines. Like yeah. our goal is just to be like a very large trusted Bitcoin brand at the center of the ecosystem, doing payments, doing selling Bitcoin, doing all kinds of other stuff with lightning infrastructure. Like I just think we'll do so many different things over time. I'm just not that worried about it. We love what you guys are doing over there. We really do. Like we've used it. We recommend it. Can't tell people enough how much they should. You're working on a, you're working on a book right now, correct? I am working on a book. I have to read the latest draft of the prologue. Yeah, we're almost done. Can you tell us anything about it? 
Yeah, it's actually it's so it's just it's the evolution of the old uh, twelve chapters for the for the year of education for Give Bitcoin. So we had all this work done and all these interviews, and you know, just kind of had to strip out the stuff that referenced you receiving this in an email and having received a gift, and kind of repackage it. But yeah, the goal is to be the best from a standing start introduction to Bitcoin. My my co-founder has already written the best one in my view, which is inventing Bitcoin, I think is the best sort of standing start, you know, to understand what Bitcoin is. I just assigned my dad to read that book last week because I was, t- he, he just doesn't understand the stuff. And I was like, this is the best book I know of. It's very sim- simple, succinct, and it's in layman's terms. Anyone can understand. Jan did a great job with that book and we look forward to checking yours out. Yeah. So it's called Bright Orange Future. And you know, that's, that's the lofty goal. It's me and Brady and uh, my longtime friend, Matt Ruby, who was the, uh, the ghost author of some of those 37 Signals books by like DHH and Jason Fried. So he wrote Rework in one of their other books. So he's like a New York Times bestselling author. Um, so I think it's, it's good. It's really good. Hopefully we'll get it out this quarter. Um, so that should be fun. And that should be free to all swans. Um, a fun anecdote. Uh, you know why inventing Bitcoin is so good? Uh, Jan taught Bitcoin in Chicago public high schools for a year. Did he really? Before writing the book, he just would go around and do guest appearances and teach kids about Bitcoin. And so you're getting like the best of the 20 analogies or the best of the 20 orders of, you know, stacking and framing the argument or whatever it is throughout that book. And then he's a freaking you know, he's an engineer, a really good one. So he only, he hates extraneous code and he hates extraneous words. So he just boiled it, boiled it down, cut it, cut it, cut it until it was just left with this, like, you know, you get rid of all the marble and only David is left, right? Yep. Right on. (laughs) He did a good job with that book. Corey, we uh, enjoyed every minute of this chat. Appreciate your generosity and giving us the time. Give us a short handoff before we part ways on you and your company swanbitcoin.com come on in sign up it's awesome and uh stack sats wherever you do i'm a a big supporter of uh, anybody working in bitcoin Um, if you're interested in working in bitcoin uh check out bitcoinerjobs.com which uh has hundreds of jobs posted but also now has i think about 800 candidate profiles so uh you can go and load your own candidate profile up there. And then companies are now using that to search for Bitcoiners, which is great. Um, so I think that that will continue to grow and be awesome. And we're starting to see people that want to hire Bitcoiners, even if they're not Bitcoin companies, because they, uh, they just want to work with Bitcoiners. They assume certain things about someone that uh, self-labels themselves a Bitcoiner. Uh, so we have people you know, deliberately hiring Bitcoiner accountants, personal trainers, uh, accountants, contractors, all that kind of stuff. I, I think that that's sort of, uh, I'm really bullish on Bitcoiners as much as I am on Bitcoin itself. I just mm. think it's an incredible culture, an incredible group of people. And I don't know what's going to happen with Bitcoin price, but I'm damn sure the number of people that identify as being a Bitcoiner is going to grow by 100x this decade. And that is the entire thesis behind my activities in the space, Swan, Bitcoiner Ventures, Bitcoiner Jobs. Everything that we're doing is is based on my firm belief that that number of people is going to go up dramatically. Awesome. Did you finish that Turkish tea? Oh, it's long gone, bro. <laughs> it's all right, though. It's all right, though. There's more. One There's thing more. before you go is I, I, we need to start asking this question to more people. If you had one book to recommend, 
just a great book. Doesn't have to be about Bitcoin. What's your uh, what's your recommendation? I mean, there's so many. There's so many. I'm just trying to think of something that wouldn't be already recommended by so many people. Some of your some of your listeners will have read this, but most probably haven't even heard of it. But it's called uh, Creativity Inc. Oh, I have heard of that. That's you heard uh, that? I have, it's by the guys who started Pixar. Or, exactly. Yeah. It's right? Ed, Cat, Ed Catmull was uh, Catmull. Catmull. Yeah, with part, partners with Steve Jobs and uh, and um, Lasseter and it's clear when you when you read his words, you actually understand what the glue was and where the where the operating system came from because it's clearly that dude, and he's like by far the least well known of the three. Uh, and I love that. I love that stuff. Like it, uh, as an example, like if people really wanted to like look at Swan, you may know Jan because he wrote a book and you know a super successful entrepreneur and everything. And like obviously, I'm noisy being the CEO, but like. Like the the heart and soul of Swan, like that lives our brand, and it's like the glue for the team is Brady, right? So like Brady's kind of like the the Ed Catmull if if we're Pixar, right? And and I love I love when those curtains are kind of peeled back and you see like you know some of the instrumental people in these places. So I love that. Have a great evening. Appreciate your time. You guys too. I'm gonna get out of this chair. It's been six and a half hours yeah. now. Stretch out. <laughs> or the three things you need to do in your day. You need to buy. So I, bought, I bought Bitcoin. I need to go exercise and I need to get outside. I think I'm going to go for a run outside before it gets dark. Two birds with one stone. Exactly. All right, go get at it. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at blue underscore collar BTC. We invite questions, comments, and inquiries of any kind, and our email is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.